care if I'm not a you Met. You won't see okay? Mr. Mund. Don't cry over right. it, Gary, please. I know I'm you just won't. asking a question. Nobody well, what do you mean you know I won't? If I'm there, what do you mean you, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you, mean you know I won't cry? Hold on. What do you mean you know don't I won't cry? Don't cry if I'm not there at happy hour, please. Who's crying? I don't understand the I'm point. Just, I'm just saying, don't cry if I don't show up. But who? I don't understand what the point you're trying to make. Who's crying? I don't. I don't, I don't want you to you're... cry. I'm, I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to cry if I'm not. I'm not there. upset. I'm just asking you're so a question. Fucking concerned. You're so fucking concerned whether I'm going to be there or not. He's mad. He's still mad at me. Mm. He's mad at you. Yeah. He's yeah. I know Ronnie. He's mad at you. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I hear him. He won't yeah. even go to happy everybody's hour. Got, with you. Everybody's got Ronnie figured out. Yeah. Everyone does. I. You I'm know sure I Ronnie's do. got Ronnie figured yeah. out. Yeah. Fred, he's mad, right? He's he's totally pissed. Yep. And I'm one of the few people that haven't got Ronnie figured out. I don't know. <laughs> but you can Ronnie. tell he's pissed now. Ronnie, would you do me a favor? I know. You can see his face. He's got his his red is mixed in with like this just darkness. It's just permeating Ronnie. his soul. Who are you not mad at? Maybe that'd be an easier question. Stop it. All right. Well, <laughs> you want to give Sharon the last word on this? Maybe that'll be good. Sharon, do you have some wisdom to share with us? Go ahead. Does she squirt? <laughs> Let's go to Sharon in Arizona. Hey, guys. I just, I just wanted to mention that I live right on the border of um, Mexico, and we still have a situation with kids in cages that happened under this administration, too. And I'm not saying that... You know, I know what Ronnie's going to do or not going to do. But the bottom line is there have been abuses against kids and all kinds of things that have happened with this president that I think people forget because they happened several years ago. It's like every day there's another egregious thing this guy does. And I just I hope people really do think about saving America because we really are on the verge of losing democracy if this guy comes back again. All right. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, Sharon says uh, Ronnie has to take a stand. She agrees with Fred, I think. And she says very calmly. Yes. Ronnie, are you aware? Again, I'm not. I'm not beating up on you. Are you aware that's that, no? Seriously, are you aware that there's 545 mm. kids that uh, Trump, you know, took away from his families when they came over the border, and they can't find their parents? There's 545 kids that that may never see their parents again. Yeah, I know that. Okay, you knew that. Want to make sure you knew, you knew that. that. I knew that. You knew that. Yeah, uh, Ronnie uh, Puppet knew it too. Yeah, I knew that. Yep, I knew that. I watch. I watch the news constantly, Gary. I'm yeah. not that stupid. Okay. Nobody said you were. Now you're trying to say Ronnie's a little bit stupid or something, Gary. <laughs> Who called you stupid, Ronnie? Yeah, I agree Nobody with Ronnie called me on that. Stupid. Yeah, I'm just, nah, I hear you, Ronnie. He, he was I being a little. Uh, I can hear yeah. it in the fucking tone of his voice. Yeah, it's Who's voice? Like, I, like I don't know. Like I don't know what's going on in the fucking world. Like I'm stupid. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Exactly. I heard yeah, that. I, 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 I think hear this is getting there, worse. Ronnie. I mean, things are being said. Ronnie, I love you. Call me when you feel oh. like it. Have a great Everybody fucking life. Everybody's with that love oh. shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's I love you. I love you. Yeah. You know who I love? Everyone loves you, right, Ronnie? Yeah, everyone loves I you, love but meanwhile. Yeah. Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie. Everyone I, loves it, you, but meanwhile. Hey, I see. I, 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 I get it. Right. I, 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 a little yeah. bit. All right. You're reading between the lines. I'm reading between you know the lines. Who, <laughs> you know who I love? I love Hope Hicks. And I want to rub the <laughs> clip until she squirts all that COVID-19 juice out of a sweet pussy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ronnie Puppet. You're you're a lot of fun, Ronnie Puppet. Yeah. Ronnie, thank you. don't take everything so hard. You know, it's only a discussion. No. That's all. No. Easy no. does. No. Come on, pal. No. I'm fine. Ronnie Puppet, what I'm do you fine. want to say? No. <laughs> <I'm fine. laughs> okay. no. All right, Ron, go have a good weekend. You too, Ronnie Puppet. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I gotta go I watch wanna... NASCAR. Yeah. 
All right, go watch NASCAR yeah, and have I gotta fun. I got to go watch NASCAR. Right. All right. Thanks to uh, right. Gardein, by the way. The plant-based meat revolution is here. I'm all about it. Gardein, God bless you. That looks, it cooks, it satisfies like real meat. We're talking about Gardein. Oh, Gardein. Gardein, Gardein, Gardein. Fried crab cakes. They're awesome. Yes, they're delicious. There by the way, Ronnie. Endorsement. Now yep. Gary's mad at you for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, dear. Why are you, right. why are you mad at okay. Ronnie? Because you try to have a conversation with the guy, right? You try yeah. to tell him how you feel about him. He goes, fuck you. I don't believe you. He's too busy to I talk to me today. That. I, I, I didn't everybody, say I didn't The whole world's against Ronnie. Believe- the whole world, Ronnie, the whole world is not against you. And two things can be true. This is called dialectic thinking. I can love you and I can disagree with you. Two things can be true. It's not all black and white. And just gotcha. asking you if you knew about something doesn't mean I think that you're stupid. That's in your head. That's your sensitivity, not mine. Okay. Calm down, Gary. Your glasses are starting to fog. <laughs> I'm just saying, I know I'm just saying, like, like you try to you try to have a conversation and it's you know I don't know. You can't I, I feel like I can't have a conversation with you about it. Okay, good. It's, like it's really is everything's de- divisive. But I can, you know. This is a great conversation we're having right uh, now. I'm enjoying the shit out of it. Oh. So will, will I talk to you again, Ronnie? Because I got the feeling that I'm not going to, unless you call me back, was, I'm not going to hear yeah, from okay. you. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Jill wants <laughs> oh, to have the final yeah, word. Let Jill, now, let, Jill, now. let Jill have the final word. Jill, go ahead. Hi, Howard. You are exactly right. And Fred, I love you. The reason we're so frustrated, Ronnie, is because Trump has single-handedly Ruined your life, oh, and you have God. Nobody, I never system. said who I was voting for. <laughs> All right, enough of that. I never okay. said who I was voting for. We'll be back with Matthew McConaughey right after yeah. that. Yeah. We're going to take a break from all the fighting and uh, get over to Matthew McConaughey, who actually has written a wild book. It's kind of crazy, this book. It's wild. It's uh, it's full of stories, and uh, he's lived a full life. Unlike me, who's kind of just locked up in my house. Uh, you know, hey, Matthew, good to see you. There he is. Let me take a good look at this guy. There's a movie star. Look at that. Hey. Look hey, at that. how are you? How are you doing? I'm relatively good, man. Look at you. How Get excited. Looking? Yeah, been quite a few years since we've done this. It's good to be back with you. Good to be. When's the last time I spoke with you? I mean, it was a long time ago, I think. What are we talking? Five, six, seven years ago, I think, right? That's right. I believe it was five or six, seven years ago. And uh, it was a good conversation. And then you fell out of my life. And uh, I had to get along without you. <laughs> and, you and I've been watching you from afar, sir. You, you're doing quite well. You know, this book, you know, it, writing a book. You can either go two ways. You can be superficial or you can be a man of the people and really talk about your life in a meaningful way. You have done it. You have written things here that I'm busy psychoanalyzing you. You know, I was thinking about this. When you won the Oscar, you know, which is a big deal, you know, you, you, you win this Oscar and you get up there and during your speech, and it was an eloquent speech, but you thanked your parents. Yeah. And you, you acknowledge your father who is now in, you know, up in the sky somewhere, up in heaven. You know, he's looking yeah. down on you. And I thought, wow, Matthew must have had this incredible relationship with his father to honor him at the Oscars like that. But the disconnect for me is when I read the book, Matthew, <laughs> your father, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say aborted on abuse. He abused you. 
There were fist fights. Well, come on. But let, let's analyze. Have you ever been in analysis? No. I think you need it. <laughs> well, look, hey, I've made it 50 years to where I am right now. Maybe I need it. Maybe everybody needs it. I, the things that, uh, you know, I would not call it abuse at all, um, at, at all. Um, did I get, uh, you know, what today would be considered in today's time uh, you're not supposed to do? We got the belt instead of getting grounded. That's what we got growing up. It was quick. It hurt for the moment. We were never injured. Did it hurt? Did we cry? Sure. But the main thing is, why did we get in trouble? And when I look back at the whys I got in trouble and why from him, oh, I earned every one of them. It was for saying, it was for saying I can't instead of saying I'm having trouble. It was for saying I hate you to my brother because I got a whooping saying you don't hate. And it was for lying. Three pretty good reasons to get in trouble. And I don't remember the butt whooping. What I remember is going, shit, okay, that's a pretty good lesson. If you're having trouble with something, you have trouble with it and you get help, but don't say I can't do it. Don't believe you can't do something. Uh, love, don't hate, and don't lie. But Matthew, here's my point. Though. Here's my point. Yeah. I don't want to knock your dad. I know you love your dad. But I'm saying, it, just from, a, I'm trying as a reader, I'm saying, I, would you give your kid what you call an ass whooping? Your kid, would you give your kid an ass whooping for saying I can't do something? No, no, I've chose to go about it differently. But, under, you know, my, I mean, it's not for me to judge right or wrong how my dad and my mom, for that matter. Yes. They were raised. And as I write about in the book, the two of them together, that was more violent than, than what me or my, my, my brothers got. Those two were in a rodeo on the biggest bull in the ring, man. They that's how they communicated. There's a picture well, of my, my mom's finger. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, your mom. To this day. But 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 Matthew, your mom. You describe your parents were so volatile that your yeah. father broke your mother's finger four times. She all she did was she put her finger in his face and he broke her finger and they'd have no. these violent fights. I mean, <laughs> what, I, I don't she understand. Didn't just put her finger in his face. She would right. tell you today she's asleep. Right? She would tell you she would bang his forehead and he'd go, he, Katie, stop it, stop it, stop, stop, bang his forehead. She to this day would admit that she instigated every single one of those sort of uh, confrontations between the two of them. And she, to this day, would say she wouldn't change a thing. Now, my mom's 88 and doing damn well. And it, it, should, it was a different way. I'm not saying our family was apropos about how everyone's supposed to go on parenting. It's not how I parent my children. I parent them on the same values, but not in the same way my parents did. Camille and I, my wife, we don't have, I do, we don't want that rocky tidal wave of a Pacific Ocean relationship that my mom and dad had. No, thank you. I like more of a slow moving river with a few rapids along the way to keep things, uh, you know, energized. But I don't want this extremes that my parents went through. That's how they communicated. My mom's middle finger goes like this because it was broken four times, but she didn't just put it in my dad's face. She, Popped him in the damn forehead until he had to go. God damn it, Katie! And then he spat, he broke her finger. Broke her finger, and then she pulled out a chef's knife or grabbed the phone. I mean, they were they were wild, man. And then you I said, you "Light you, up here." I, these are these are love stories in in my eyes when I think about them. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, I don't know that it's love because because you even describe after one of these fights, you saw them make love on the floor. I mean, they would then they would throw down on the floor and fuck. I mean, it's crazy this stuff you've seen it's in your life. It's a crazy. It's crazy. It's beautiful.
It is crazy, but it's, it's beautiful. I mean, that's a great example right there. My mom, were, my mom and dad were married three times, divorced twice. All right, so when I you read these stories and I tell these stories, when I talk about the love of my family, I always tell these stories of discipline. And I had to think why. And I think it's because these stories that are violent or wild are going, oh, my gosh, this on paper this looks abusive. That's when the love was tested the most but never had a chance because the love, the sort of cocoon, the, 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 the wrapping of love we had around our family and our relationships was never any of the any of the ugly stuff never had a chance of puncturing that. That's what it was I never just, even negotiable. So they Matthew, would fight maybe, like that. But maybe but it was unintentional. But maybe it was right. unintentional. But I'm reading the book and I'm feeling sorry for the little boy that you were. You're really? a sweet boy. Yeah. I, I mean. I think you've written something profound here, and I don't even know. I think in a way you were using this. Maybe it's all subconscious, but I think you were using this to say to your your, your world, to the to the world, this shit is crazy, and it fucks a little boy up. I mean, to see your parents fight that violently is abusive. I mean, to see your mom's finger broken, and then you think that's love. And and I was reading about Rooster, your brother. No, 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 no. What I say is. I, none of those things could ever break the love that our family had. Howard, I don't know how to explain it to you. I'm not going to say this is, like I said, across the board. This was not abusive, and I didn't see it as abusive. All right. Do I have in the book enough stories of the times when actually our family was incredibly loving and affectionate? Maybe not as many for the reasons I just said. I love telling the, the violent discipline stories because they were the times where the love looked like it would be tested, but it never had a chance against the love. There was it was not abusive. I was not scarred. All right. We had a lot of I love you, but I don't like you right now in our house. We never questioned whether we were loved. Like I said, I want to run away from home. My parents beat me to my room to pack my bags and said, oh, yeah, get it. I made it about a half a mile away before my tail went between my legs. I was like, geez, I thought they'd kind of try and stop me. <laughs> you know, but Matt, back home. Matthew, the 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 idea to me. And I'm going to harp on this because I, I love your book for this reason. But I think it's an excellent reason to read it for an opposite opinion. Because okay. when I read that you got your first ass whooping, because in kindergarten, you answered to the name Matt. Your name is Matthew. And your mother said, they beat you because you, someone called you Matt. And, and, and now you laugh at that. But I'm telling you, there's, there's also tears involved in that. A little boy goes to school and someone calls him Matt. And then you get the, the shit beat out of you. To Matt, and I didn't get the shit beat out of me. I got slammed on the ground on the playground. As I ran off to answer, my friend John Griffith, who said, hey, Matt, you want to play on the monkey bars? Yeah, I want to go. Here I go running while I'm going across the, 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 the playground. Feel a hand on my shoulder. Whoop! Bam! Slammed on the ground. I look up. Who's on top of me going, what's your name? My mother. Uh, Matthew. Why'd you go answer to that name, Matt? I go, I don't know. I knew he was talking to me. She goes, don't you ever, ever answer to Matt. I named you Matthew for a reason. Don't ever answer to Matt. Yeah, I was crying. I was like, holy shit. I'm on the playground. All the kids are looking at my own mom. Some of them, their teacher, my teacher, pinned me to the ground and slammed me to the ground. So don't you ever answer to that again. I don't remember pain from that moment. What I remember is, hey, you were named your name for a reason. I got over the embarrassment. Matthew, I got over the shock and went on. What was the lesson in that? 
So, you, you know, some kid called you Matt. Why do you have to get beaten up because a guy called you Matt? Let's beat up the it's kid then. You call me, it's fine if you call me Matt. It's fine. You can call me Matt. I don't answer to Matt. Right. From that day on. I've gone through my life going, Matthew, please. My mom gets very upset. <laughs> if someone goes, hey, Matt, I go, Matthew, please. You can call me McConaughey or Matthew. Just don't call me Matt. Uh, my mom gets very upset. It's true. You point I think, that there's, value. I think there's value in that. You point that in the book. One time you said to one of your brothers, I think it was Rooster, or I don't know which one, but you said, I hate you. Now that's some, it was okay. And you said, I hate you. Now that's an emotion a child does feel toward his brother sometimes. Another ass whooping. You know what I mean? This was at my birthday party. This was my birthday party. (laughs) I had heard the word at school. So I decided my brother Pat's picking on me and I yell out. I go, stop it, Pat, I hate you. My mom stopped the party. Stop the party. I went over, leaned against the wall, got my butt whooped for saying hate. Oh, my gosh. Embarrassment. No, we they didn't allow any slack on that kind of thing. Mind you, you could say shit, fuck, the Lord's name in vain, and you get your mouth washed out. But you say hate in our family, or you say I can't do something, it was going to be heavy. It was going to be worse. Matthew. There was, I see some genius in the art of what they were teaching in that. Matthew, I'm telling you, if you went into therapy, you would not see genius in that. You would see what the rest of us are saying. We would feel bad for the little boy that was Matthew McConaughey. In fact, why does Rooster get to be called Rooster? That Your parents didn't name him Rooster. <laughs> Where's the logic Rooster. in any of this? Hey, he became a rebel, and he said, you know what? I'll go by another name because uh, over the years, he had proven in his life that no matter what time he went to bed, even if it was 5 a.m., he woke up when the sun rose, and so he got the name Rooster. Hell, I don't know. Look, we all see things differently. Now, am I going to sit here and go, well, let me change the way I saw that, Howard, because that's how you see it. No, that's how I saw it. I lived through it. So on paper, you could call it, and you could call it abuse. You On paper, you can call it, oh, we should have called child protection. You can call it that on paper, but you can't. No one can take and steal away how, what I experienced of it and how I see it. And I'm not in any way in denial of it. I write about it in the book very openly with very vivid. I've, we've told stories and hemmed and hawed and gave my mom shit about that for years about how they raised us. But, hey, it was, it was never in question. She never apologized, and we never asked her to apologize. Nor do I think that she or my dad should have. So you have no anger toward your parents about, uh, you know, when I read about you, 10 years old, you put a little Cracker Jack tattoo on your body. And you, 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 you got an ass whooping so bad that your buttocks bled. And, and, I, and, I, feel, and, and I feel you should be angry about that. And I'm, af- I'm afraid that as an adult, it might have even affected your ability to parent and stuff. Because you, you've had such a bad example. And you laugh at that. But I... I <laughs> I'm telling you. If... <laughs> oh my You're funny. goodness! Why, why am I funny? Why is this funny? funny? I love your, I love your, I love your psychoanalysis trying to take this down to the to the to the, to the most dramatic and great. My butt, I didn't actually bleed. That right. actually was a friend of mine's dad, um, oh. who who gave me a whooping on the side of the road, and his son because we put the cracker jack tattoos on. Um, Poor you. Poor you. Come here. Can I give you a hug? Now the I, neighbors give you... are beating you. Uh, I mean, the, your parents are beating you. The neighbors are beating you. My God, Matthew, what the fuck is with your life? I mean, this book is going to blow your mind, ladies and gentlemen. I, I suggest you buy this. It really is well done. But I saw pain. You know, these fist fights too. You know, Matthew talks about yeah. rites of passage. Like, you weren't a man because you didn't stand up. Like, Rooster and your dad, your brother Rooster gets into a fight you describe in the book with your dad in a bar or something. I forget exactly where it was. 
and and you're and Rooster after a four minute fight or he knocks your father out for four minutes, knocks him down on the floor, knocks him out, and your father gets up after four minutes of being unconscious and he says to Rooster, You're that's my boy. And he gives no, him a big hug. Him. Tears coming down my dad's eyes, hugs me, he's that's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> it's crazy. Matthew, that's crazy, yes. Absolutely crazy, but beautiful. You know, it is a wild life you have led. It's the exact, I have lived with fears and, and uh, I don't leave my house. I'm talking, forget about COVID. I don't leave my house when it's nice outside and there's no diseases. I mean, you, uh, you have seen every fucking crazy thing in the world. It's amazing. It didn't drive you crazy. It's amazing. I mean, I, well, I get maybe. Thank you. I mean, I've just, you know. No, it's mind keep on, blowing. Keep to on me. keeping on, trying to calibrate and recalibrate, calibrate along the way. Um, yeah, always yeah. turn the page, trying to turn the page to the next. I don't, I'm not a big dweller on things. You know, I've got my own regrets. I've had my own shames, had my own embarrassments. Wish I could have done different or done better in my life, but I don't. You know what? I what, here's my here's listen to this theory. Now, my mother, who's 88, who is the queen of relativity. I asked her a couple of years ago. I'm like, Mom, I have, nobody forgives himself quicker than you. It's amazing. You're like water off a duck's back. I go, don't you have anything that you ever regret or anything that you, you feel like you could have done better? You could have done better that day. And, you know, and she goes, oh, honey, every night I make a mental list. It's usually 20 to 25 things, of things I wish I could do better. And I know I need to work on things I regret. She goes, the thing is, when I wake up in the morning, I forgot them all. So that's her one. And it's amazing. It's like you're yeah. 88. You got a book and you got, you know, you got a sip of Kendall Jackson at 6 p.m. I'm not telling you to change a damn thing. She's doing great. Um, but you yeah, say I'm in just, the book, Matthew, you say in the book that your brother had his rite of passage. You call it a rite of passage when he yeah. knocked out your father. He passed the test and your father was so proud of him. You say yeah. your first rite of passage, you flunked that I, I, joke. You got caught stealing a pizza at 18. Your father yep. asked you if you stole the pizza. You didn't come clean. And you said your father said you felt you that was a rite of passage, that that was your entry into being a man, your entree into being a man. And you it failed it. it because yes. what? Because you lied? No, I failed it because, well, one, because, yes, I lied. He was wanting me to just tell him the truth. If I had told him. He knew to, to all of us out there, when you come home, if you've stolen a pizza and your one of your parents says, hey, did you pay for that pizza tonight? It means they know you didn't. All right. <laughs> so I at that time think I'm going to come home and weasel out. I'm like, well, I mean, I think we pay. sure. I mean, I was actually I left the parking lot first. Bud was back in the and all of a sudden I'm already weaseling, digging myself a hole. My dad says, OK, you know, I'm going to ask you again. You know, did you steal the pizza? I start digging a hole of a lie again. Now I know now at this point that he knows, but I'm getting nervous and I'm going like, he's asked me the second time. I've lied the second time. And then he said, I'm gonna ask you one last time, buddy. Did you know whether you, whether you stole a pizza or not, whatever, did you know, you, did you know you were going to steal a pizza? Did you know you weren't going to pay for pizza? And I went, well, I mean, not. lied again. I remember I got, I got a backhand, a backhand that I deserved. And I went down, not because of the damn backhand, because of the lactic acid in my hypocritical coward ass legs I was standing on going, geez, just tell him you stole the damn pizza, man. And that's all my dad was saying. That's what broke his heart right then. Saying, damn it, son, I've stolen many a goddamn pizza. Just admit it, boy. Why are you lying to me? 
that was the part that I was being a coward and, and, and did not pass the test. And I was right. I was not a man in his eyes. And I sat there to lie about that. I should have just admitted it. And you know what? If I hadn't admitted it, there wouldn't have been a backhand. He'd have been, probably sat there and said, damn, you got to learn to get away with it better. That's what he would probably done. You, and it had been over. When I read your book, I said, I could not have survived your childhood. You describe a scene where your, fa your father, I thought my father was rough. Your father, your father turned to you and said, okay, Matthew, I'm going to let you hit me as hard as you can four times. Four to my one. Four to one. Sat down, all fours, put his chin out like a bear, sitting there in his under. Come on. Four to my one. Four to my one. I, my hands felt like paper mache, man. I was just, no, no, no way. But here's what would have happened if I'd have done that. If I would have. If I'd have really meant it and would have, and I didn't. I didn't take him up on it. As I said, I basically, you know, peed my pants and backed up. If I would have, I know it would have happened. If I did that first one, if I'd have given him a good one, he would have popped off and gone, ah, damn, buddy, pretty good one. Come here. That's my boy. And it would have been over. There was I wouldn't be giving him the next three, and he would have never given me a one. It was take the challenge is what he was wanting me to do. Come on, I'm daring you. So just take the challenge. What are the odds got to be for you to do it? And that, that was on the same night that I had lied. It was on that same night. He said, come on. And it was him just going, him, I saw the pain in his eyes, man, going, damn it, what am I doing wrong in raising my son that he's going to lie to me about stealing the damn pizza? And it ain't even about the stealing of the pizza. It's about the fact you're lying to me about it. And then four to my one. I would have given him one shot, and he just stood up and gave me a hug, and he said, like he said to my older brother, that's my boy. Why do I feel sad by that story? You tell me. I feel sad that a father says, you're my son if you punch me in the face. You're my son... If you, you know, if uh, you're called, you know, it, 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 it's such uh, a harsh you know, way to be brought up. I felt bad. I don't know. I, I feel sad. You know, that's okay. I mean, look, I, I, I don't about it. I mean, but you weren't, you didn't grow up in my household and you weren't around all the love that was there and all the good times that completely overrode all of these times, many of these times, which I speak about in the book. Like I said, I speak about these parts in the book because they were times where the love was tested for me, but the, but it never had a chance against the love we had. Um, See, Matthew, I say that, you know, and, and I, you, you weren't there, so. I think you speak about these things because you want the world to know that you were abused. That's my theory, and it worked on me. I had such compassion. I think you're one of the best actors I've ever seen. You know, you, you talk about your fucking, so you know, shit. I mean, I, I could go into it. Uh, your, your soliloquy in A Time to Kill, when you're, when you're, when you're, Defending mm -hmm. a black man who has killed a white man. That speech, yeah. unfucking believable. In that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movie with, uh, uh, you steal the whole Wolf fucking movie. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. That one scene where you teach Leonardo DiCaprio about jerking off twice a day. I've so never fun. fucking seen better. It's the fucking best scene ever. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Hey, by the way, on that scene, did you, I don't know the truth about this. Is that a scripted thing or was that coming right off the top of your head about how, you, you know, in this racket you have to uh, jerk off twice a day to relieve your stress if you're going to work on Wall Street? When you were doing all that, and, and by the way, go on Google, everybody, and just Google Matthew McConaughey in Wolf of Wall Street and watch that fucking scene and tell me you're not fucking mesmerized when he's teaching Leonardo DiCaprio about how to survive on Wall Street. It's the greatest thing ever. Was that something off the top of your head or was it scripted like that? There was uh, what I put in this in the uh, movie was about 
I think about three times longer than what was scripted. It was a really well scripted. I remember this. I call these launch pad lines. With Wooderson and Days Confused, there was three lines. I worked for three weeks based off of one line that was written. And it was a line that Wooderson had. She said, hey, that's what I love about those high school girls. I get older, but they stay the same age. Well, yes. I read that line. And, I'm, and I was like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> if that yeah, guy you're referring that, to, I could write a book on the encyclopedia on this guy. You're referring to Dazed walk. and Confused. You're, you're, you're referring to Dazed and Confused where uh, that guy, you know, that guy is such an interesting character. But in other words, that line tells you exactly who he is and makes you want to well, do the movie. Line, Think about it. You look at the line like that and you go, if this isn't a person's attitude, if this is a person's actual credo, ethos, like he believes this, you can write a book on somebody that goes about in the world like that. Well, in Wolf of Wall Street, the launch pad line, I remember reading when I said, who the fuck is this guy? And he was t- it was written that he tells Leonardo's character the secret to this is <laughs> cocaine and hookers. And I remember going... <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> that guy, and he's serious. I was like, if this guy's serious about that, which I'm saying, I'm going to take him to be like he's being very serious. Boy, I can write a book on this guy. So I just started rapping and and wrote things down, and you know, was beat my chest before, which was Leonardo's idea to put that actually in the scene. And then I don't know, it may have had the stuff about jacking off, and then I added the stuff. I don't know, or maybe I added that, but I know I went on and riffed on like, oh, whatever numbers. Oh, those are rookie numbers. Those are, those are rookie. You got to pump those up, you know. And and then it, it was a. It was a wrap, you know. I got to tell you, it is the greatest moment in film. I, and I'm not bullshitting you because you're here. I mean, this is how I've always felt about that scene. Leonardo DiCaprio, he's sitting there. He's with his boss. He wants to learn about the business. He wants to be the best guy on Wall Street. He wants to be successful and please his boss. And you're sitting there as his boss, and you're just filling his head with so much shit. Just about how, look, you need, you need to, he, when you turn to him and you say, how often do you jerk off? And he goes, I don't know, three, four times a week. He goes, rookie number. Matthew goes, rookie numbers. You need to jerk off twice a day. I mean, I don't remember dialogue from movies, but that I do. That is a fucking brilliant performance. It real, I mean, bravo. But, oh, you know, thank you. I mean, it really is something. But getting back to this book, I was thinking, all of this wild childhood of yours, and I, again, I see some sadness in it. Don't you think, here's my other hypothesis. The way you've lived your life on the edge, and you are a guy who lives on the edge, and I'll, I'll, I'll present evidence, maybe that's because you had this upbringing where your father says, punch me in the face. Like, he puts your ass on the line. There's a mm. thing in the book where you decide, I forget what drug you were on, but you spend the night in Mexico in a, in a cage with a lion, and uh, the lion and a doesn't lion. eat. A mountain lion. Peyote. Describe to me, what you, you were on peyote. How do you so, end up in a cage? So at sunrise that morning, I went with the shaman on a solo trip, a walk up this this mountain, about a six-mile hike. And as a good shaman will do, disseminate the peyote in small, small doses along the way. And and to go do something physically active is a very smart thing out there if you're ever going to do uh, peyote. Don't just lock yourself in your room. You might implode. Um, get out into Mother Nature and go exercise and have a, have a journey to take, which I did. We returned back um, to... This shaman's house, I guess it was about uh, now about 10, 30, 11 in the morning. And he had this cage with this full-grown mountain lion in it. And I went up to the edge of the cage and started to get the idea that I'm going to get on the same frequency as this mountain lion. And so I start, I'm listening to the mountain lion. It's purring. I'm getting down on the, I get my bass tone on his phone. 
He about 30 minutes go by. Finally, the mountain lion comes over to the cage and comes through and kind of, I'm, I'm sitting there scratching under his chin. And he's starting to like this. Well, now I get the bright idea that I'm going to slowly move into the gate and slowly walk into the cage. And I'm moving extremely slowly. But about 30 minutes later, I make my way inside the cage to the other side of the cage of where I decide to sit down calmly while this mountain lion's pacing on the other side of the cage. Now I'm in. And I'm like, keep your cool, stay on the frequency here. Slowly, he paced his way towards me. It took about another 45 minutes until he made his way over and got the confidence to come over near me and get close and came down and touched my hand. Cut to two hours later, that son of a bitch was laying in my lap purring. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like into my lap, purring. And I hung out there, and I was in that cage for just about over three hours. And then when it was time to get up, I slowly got up and walked out. And then, yeah, later that night, I had that moment of what you just said. What the fuck? But it made complete sense at the time, and it worked. There was no fear on your part that this predator was going to eat you? Yeah, there's a little bit of fear of that, but I figured yeah. I could overcome that. And I figured, I knew, I feel like I, I had, uh, I felt like I, I knew actually, I didn't feel like I knew that that, 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 uh, that cat and I, that mountain lion were communicating at the time. And look, you, I'll say this. I was smart enough to know that that cat was not, that mountain lion was not starving. All right. It had been, it had been fed. <laughs> okay. So it's like if we, my hikes to Africa, you know, when you cross the, cross those rivers through a lot of hikes over there. It's okay to cross those rivers with all the uh, crocodiles in them in the wet season because they've got plenty to eat. But I've hiked that same trail in the dry season. You better watch it because they're all very hungry. This mountain lion, I was confident, was not overly hungry. It had been being fed. So I felt pretty confident that if I went in and approached it the right way, that I would not be on the menu. See, my uh, theory was the mountain lion, the crocodiles, they're a lot calmer than your parents. So you're like, fuck it. I've lived through those two. So I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna get in there, man. Now I mean, you that, might be onto something. Now you might be onto something. Again, this is the craziest, maybe the craziest book I ever read. Because you describe, I think it was when you were on one of your trips to the uh, Amazon or whatever the hell where you go to get away from it all. Um, you walk into, tell me if I have this right. You walk into one of these villages. And you now fight their best fighter. You actually get into a a, a, a ring with a with a fighter. What, do you, yeah. what the fuck is going on? Tell me about that. Yeah, right. So here's what happened. So it's a place called uh, um, um, in Africa called the Doggone Country, um, and uh, in the Banjiagara is these villages that are all separated by like ten to fifteen miles. They're at the base of a large mountain along the river's edge. This is a group that fled the Muslim invasion around the 11th century. I think it was. And they're these little villages, no electricity, um, but they're all spread out along the river. And I went hiking through there um, in 99. And, you know, without electricity, the, the, the way of communicating is the spoken word. Someone sees you, they hike to the next village. Well, word got out that strong white men named Dauda, because I was under the name David, and Dauda was my name in Bambara they had given me. And I went there and told them on the, when I showed up, they were like, what's your name? I said, David. And then I said, I'm a writer and a boxer because I wanted my anonymity. Well, it became very clear that they didn't give a shit about the writing part. They were very interested in the boxing part. <laughs> and one of their pastimes in over there is wrestling. Well, I get to this <laughs> one uh, village one day, 
after about a 12 mile uh, hike and I'm laying down stretching and the village has come around to see this new novel person with light skin that's hiked in and they've heard of Dowda, a strong white man named Dowda who would be hiking this way and I'm there. And these two young boys about 18 get over me and they start kind of talking at me and I could hear, I could hear the challenge in their voice, right? And I say to my God, I go, are they talking shit? And he goes, yes, they say are the, they are the best wrestlers in the village and they want to challenge um, strong white men named Dowda to a wrestling match. So I'm just laying there, heartbeat starts to go up a little bit. And as they're still jabbering and the crowd's getting uh, kind of excited, all of a sudden I hear the crowd scream. And I look up and those two boys run. Why do they run? Who steps up in the middle? Michelle. Burlap bag strapped around his waist, no shirt, no shoes, tree trunk legs, stands over me. Isa says, oh, this is the real champion of the village. Well, as he says that, Michelle looks down at me, points to me on the ground, points to him, his heart, and then points over to the right in the distance. Well, I'm laying there, and the crowd's going crazy, and I look in the distance, and there's this big dirt pit. And as my heart starts going, do, 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 do. And as my left ear saying, don't you do this, this makes no sense. My right ear says, if you don't do this, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And I start to get up and I stand in front of Michelle. I point to him. I point to my chest and I start to walk towards the pit. Crowd goes crazy. Here we go. I'm in the pit. I don't know the rules. So here we go. He grabs me by the waist. I grab him by the waist. Two hands on the waist. Digs digs his forehead into my uh, clavicle here. I dig my forehead into his. We Spear off like this, about leverage like that off the ground. Our heads combined in the middle. The chief says, stop. We start going in circles. Um, I always thought I had an ass and legs, and that was my advantage in wrestling. I learned very quickly that that was not my advantage in this wrestling match. (laughs) Um, He flipped me. I flipped him. It went on for a few minutes. All of a sudden, the chief separates us. I'm bleeding. I had these talismans that were sewn into my to my beard. They were ripped out. I got blood coming down my face. My knees are bleeding. My ankles are bleeding. I'm sweating. I'm hyperventilating. I look at him. He's barely got a glisten of sweat on him. He's not happy. The crowd's going crazy, and the chief says, do it! Round two. Okay, here we go. Hands to waist. Dig our heads in. Bam. We go for another two to three minutes. Um, I ended up getting him in a Boston Crab. He had me in a leg lock. I got flipped. It it, it ends in a pass, in an impasse. The chief steps in, raises both our hands. Crowd goes crazy. Michelle runs off, runs off like he was in chain. And all of a sudden, the crowd envelops me and starts going, da-da, da-da, da-da. Well, I go, I have a great night's sleep that night thinking about this great day I had. I wake up the next morning to leave to hike to the next village, a 14-mile walk to the next village. Who's meeting, who's standing there at the edge of the village waiting for me to pass? Michelle. As I walk without saying a word, he reaches down, holds my hand, and walks with me 14 miles to the next village without saying a word, drops me off, turns around, and walks back. And the great part of the story is this. I go back six years later unannounced. Michelle now has four kids and a broken hip, so we didn't have a wrestling match. But when I hiked to the next village the next day, six years later, guess who walked me the whole way and held my hand? Michelle. And what they taught me was it was not about win or lose. It was you were big man in this village as soon as you take the challenge. No, no. This is unbelievable. You know, you know me, I like to take a walk on the beach, and I'm just nervous I'll run into someone I know. You, uh, <laughs> you should try it. I, I mean, this is unbelievable to me. I mean, you're a movie star. You're, you're a great-looking guy, if you don't mind me saying. You got the world at your, at, at your, at your fingertips. And you're busy fighting people in, in Africa. Uh, what, 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 
this is unbelievable. Maybe this is sure. what the old man taught you because, uh, you know, he's, he's going to hit me four times in the face. Hey, you know, I mean, look, I'm, I'll, I'll admit, and I say this about our whole family, what, what tickles us may bruise others. That's the loophole in the golden rule. My mom's always loves right. to say, you know, uh, I'm doing others, you'd have them doing to you. And all we have, me and my brothers have to remind her, we got to remind you, mom, some people don't like to do what we like to do. That's the loophole in that whole golden know. rule. Maybe yeah. this would make maybe this would make sense to people. When you read the book, you'll see that Matthew, when he finally earned his father's respect, Matthew was in a bar with his father, and the bouncer accused his dad of not paying the bar bill, and he put his hands on Matthew's dad. Matthew yeah. stepped in, he hauled off on the bouncer, and didn't stop until his dad said, "That's enough, son." And that's when yeah. your father really said, "You're my son." Because you beat that's up the weird. fucking bouncer, right? Yeah, that was, I remember he called his buddies and he was like, the youngest one's going to be okay. <laughs> the youngest one's going to be okay, boy. Jesus he, Christ. You could have seen him tonight. And then he says, but you got to watch him. He's got a switch he'll flick. Um, and that was when he and I sort of became friends. That was a rite of passage for us, yeah. So, Matthew, you can really fuck up a dude in real life, right? I mean, you really know how to fight. You're not some pussy who, uh, I mean, you have like. I don't you, like to fight. Don't, you don't, don't like really it. Like no, but if a but if a guy gives you shit, have you have you beat up a lot of motherfuckers in your life? No, I've got look the fights I got I've gotten into in my life were always for taking up for the underdog. I remember you know somebody picking on the, the nerd on the front row, Ronald Hatley, you know who was a good dude but he was a nerd. Or that's or my the, real name by the way. Uh, it's not Ronald, Ronald, Hatley, Ronald Hatley. You know, or <laughs> you know I remember you know getting in a fight. Uh, and this is something dad taught us as well is to always take up for the underdog. Um, and, you know, Betty, Betty Rice, the one girl in our school that was in 1980, you know, six, the one gothic girl that everyone was like, oh, you're gothic. Oh, you must be a lesbian or something. And I remember getting in a fight defending her. And then there's another time that there was this little guy. He was a little um, little black young man and he was, he was real short and somebody would, you know popular group and, and so a bunch of people were getting on him and i remember those are the three fights i got into all taken up for underdogs really jesus um, christ I'm not you're like liar. you're like batman for god's sakes what is it like being <laughs> what is it like being a real man i mean i am such a pussy uh, there have been times in my life where it's time to step up and fight and boy do i run the other way i mean you really you're a real man you you, you i mean I do not like to fight, and I don't look for fights, man. I don't remember the last last fight I got into. I'm, I'm you know, um, uh, no. I've been in a few fights, but again, like I said, I'm not looking for them. I'd rather have something like I told you there, have a wrestling match in the middle of Africa, 120 miles from the nearest electricity, and let's see what happens. And by the way, get celebrated for accepting the challenge, you know. Um, I'd rather have that. And by the way, I want to tell people, now, now, if you think this book isn't crazy enough, the reason Matthew ends up in Africa is because he has wet dreams yep. that are non-sexual. Yep. He imagined himself floating on his back in the Amazon, and he came. Yep. He came imagining that. He wasn't fucking a girl in the dream. He, no. was, he just came floating on his back. So he said, now me, if that happened to me, I, I, you know, I'd just call my shrink and figure out what that meant. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but, but. But Matthew says that's a sign that I should go to Africa oh. and float on my back and on you know and, and right Matthew I mean it's crazy. Well, the, the second time I had it, you know, I mean I had it for the first time in early like ninety two, and I remember the dream again. I woke up. What the hell? 
Those are not the elements of a wet dream. Those are the elements of a nightmare. I'm floating on my back down the Amazon River. I'm wrapped up in anacondas, pythons. There's freshwater sharks, piranhas, and crocodiles. I'm naked. And on the left ridge, as far as the eye can see, is lined with African tribesmen. It was an 11-second dream. 11 singular frames, 11 seconds, and I came. And I wake up, and I'm going, what the fuck was that? How is that a wet dream? That's supposed to be a nightmare. Oh, I don't know what that is. So all of a sudden, I get to 96, four years later, and I have the same exact dream again. 11 frames, 11 seconds, exact same dream, and I came. And I was like, whoa. Okay. First time I thought it was weird. Now it's come again. Somebody, something's telling me something. So what do I know in this dream? I got to chase. I got to investigate this. Well, there's two things I knew in the dream. I was on the Amazon River, and there were African tribesmen. So I go to the Atlas for Africa, and I start looking for the Amazon River. As you know, wrong continent. It's in South America. (laughs) So I find the Amazon. I put on a backpack. I go to Peru, and I hike for 28 days and go float the Amazon and come back. I'm like, oh, I have fulfilled that. I fulfilled the dream. Done. Everything's great until 1999, three years later. I have the same exact dream again, and I come. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I happened to be in Ireland at the time. I said, okay, this is a sign. I got to chase down the second half of the dream. What's the only other thing I knew in the dream? African tribesmen. Well, mighty big continent. Where the hell do I go? I've been listening to this musician, Ali Farcature. I said, I'll go find Ali, see what happens from there. He lives in Nia Funke in Mali. I get a ticket to Bamako, uh, hitchhike to Mopti, meet a riverboat guide. We do a deal. Four days later up the river, we find Ali. We I talk to my favorite musician. We have a day. Now I leave, and I'm like, well, where the hell else am I supposed to go for the trip? I don't know if that's the end of it. Um, the guide suggests we go on that trip into the Banjagara where I got in the wrestling match um, Benjamatu with Michelle, and it was the greatest trip of my life. I come back from that, and I'm like, aha, and I haven't had the dream since. That fulfilled the second half of the dream, and were two of the best walkabout trips I've ever had in my life. Not, not to be gross, but when, when you come in your bed like that, do you clean yeah. it up or do you have people for that? Uh, what do you do? Do you just leave it there to dry on the sheets, or are you? Uh, I mean, what what, what happens? Yeah, what's... No, I, I, I think I think I stay pretty self reliant uh, on that one, and and, and I, I think I take care of that one. I don't think that's best for somebody else to take care. Of. of course, listen, you have people. I I got to tell you, you know, uh, I've never had a wet dream, so I can't relate to that. I know that sounds weird, but if I if I was dreaming about the Amazon and I and I came, I'd say, you know what? I really need to jerk off more because uh, I'm out coming. I'm not even thinking about women. But you, you know, you take such risk. Do you ever say to yourself when you're doing these experiences, you're fighting in villages, you're hiking through these dangerous places, you're in tiger cages. Do you ever say to yourself, Jesus Christ, I'm this famous actor. You know, I could have this cush life. I can just, you know, I don't have to do these things. And don't you tighten up and go, things are too good. I better not take risks. I could lose my beauty. I could lose my face. I could lose my acting ability. Don't you never say that to yourself? There's no caution? No, no I, 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 I would say, you know, this, these choices that I've made in my life, that I made long before I was ever famous, that are character choices that have sort of helped form me to be the guy who became the actor who then became famous. That was a byproduct of who I am first. Um, and that's what that's what I mean by just keep living. I mean, I got things I've always wanted to do in life. If 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 I if I start curtailing 
the 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 fun or the the vitality of my life I'm living because I'm like oh that my job I don't want to make sure well then I'm like well who's wagging who McConaughey no 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 you got you go live your life first and your your job and, and you as an actor and whatever celebrity comes with that is a byproduct of that but that your the life you live in Matthew I've always tried to put that first are you are you critical of actors in Hollywood sometimes because of how you live your life and you live it as like a free man and you make these these bold decisions? Do you ever see that some people in Hollywood, I'm not saying all, but there are a lot mm. of dudes that get caught up in the fame. It's how much pussy they can get, how many famous actresses they can fuck. And that's the extent of their life. They're not living life to the fullest. Do you see Hollywood like that a bit? Oh, I know some people that that is you know, their ceiling and bravo. Hey, there's worse ceilings to have. And a lot of us, a lot of people won't ever get to that ceiling. Um, I think, you know, I, I've got this line in the book that I love, you know, one, one man's appetites, another's indigestion. You know what I mean? I mean, we have a different appetite for certain things at certain times in our life. Um, I for sure myself, um, have had my times where different things insatisfied me. I did realize at the time, oh, well, that's a stop. That's not a stay, McConaughey. You know, I've been I've been my hedonist self and done things. And I'm like, oh, well, this isn't kind of who I am. This isn't what I'm. But, hey, I'm experiencing that right now. And I'm going to have this. I'm going to have this experience. I see some I see some people do that. But, you know, I mean, it's one of the great things about Hollywood. But the most challenging thing about Hollywood is all the yeses, the options. You know, too many options can make a tyrant of any of us. And that's when you get out there and you, you can get lost sometimes in Hollywood. And I've had my own fair share of it of just saying yes to things because for the first time, hell, I could do them. And I, you know, I, before I couldn't, I'm this young kid who came out of Uvalde, Texas. And you're telling me for the first time I can do that. And I write about this line in the book, you know, before you do ask before you, when you can ask yourself if you want to, before you do, well, Hollywood's saying yes, especially when you get some success, it's saying yes to everything. So you got to keep your own clock because you can look up and go, what the hell happened and not even notice it. So you got to keep your own counsel out there because everyone out there is just feeding you. And you know, if you have too much candy, your teeth are finally going to fall out. I think one of the bravest decisions you ever made, and I don't know that people know this about you. That's why the book is so interesting. The, the, the decision. Here you were having so much success. You talk about your professional life as a leading man in romantic comedies. And you point out, at one point, you make a decision. I am no longer going to do romantic comedies. Because in a way, you were getting pigeonholed. It was like, hey, if yeah. I want to get the great roles, if I want to be the great actor that I think I can be, it's not going to happen by being in romantic comedies. And you describe, you you took off, you, 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 you got an offer for romantic comedy. And at first, they yeah. offered you something astronomical like $5 million. I forget the amount of money. But, but you keep saying no. And then finally, the offer's up to 